I hope you had a wonderful Christmas. It's always a great time to be with your family. You already heard our family story. It was quite an interesting time. It amazed me how much what came out of little Maddie looked like the potatoes that Jamie's been making for a number of years when she brought them over to the house. I'm not sure how to take all of that. But, uh, but anyway, Proverbs chapter 11. As you know, we have, when we started our church, we started to focus on how to build a relationship with God. I know that sounds trivial to many of God's people, but you would be surprised today to the people who really do not understand what exactly that means. The first thing we did is we talked about how to build a church from the Bible. We went back to the book of Nehemiah, and we saw how that the book of Nehemiah was a great picture of the gates that surrounded that city. And we saw all the parallels there, and we talked about those nine gates that a church has to have to be fruitful. Then we talked about a uh, relationship of the judgment seat of Christ, the most important doctrine for the child of God. And we went through all the aspects of that, and we looked at some incredible things there. We talked about your body, your soul, and your spirit. We defined those so you would have a better understanding. Last week, we talked about the church and the ordinances given to the church versus the tradition that you get in many, many Baptist churches today. And we went back to the Bible and laid those things out so that you could understand it. My goal is to help you build a working relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. And so our study has been focused on that. And what we're going to do is we'll go through some things and we'll lay out a lot of information. And then we'll hold up and we'll, we'll look at some defining things to help take that material and, and put it back together for you. And as always, uh, I, as I told you when we started, you know, if you want to learn the Bible, I'll spend an hour a week with you, one-on-one, -on -one, helping you understand how to put the Word of God together in your own life. And uh, because to me, the most important thing in the world, and my single job as your pastor, is to teach you the Word of God and help you come to the place where you know how to make the Word of God work for you as God intended, uh, intended it to. So today we're going to talk about some other things and we're going to look at applying some things that we've already learned, kind of go to the next step or the next level. Now in Proverbs chapter 11 verse 1 it says this, A false balance is an abomination to the Lord, but a just weight is his delight. Now, Father, we thank you and praise you for the Lord Jesus. And Lord, we ask you today to help us to understand your word. We thank you, Father, for the principles that are found in this book, Lord, that will lead us and guide us into all truth. That we don't have to look outside this book for absolute truth and the final authority in all things for faith and practice in our lives. And we ask you today, Father, to bless us, bless those that are sick today. Uh, and Lord, help them to feel better and, and bless us, Lord, as we come to your word today. Help us to focus on the things that will help us grow to be more like you every day of our lives. And we'll thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. For sake we ask it. Amen. Now, for me, when it came to the Bible, and I've told you this before, but this is the way I am. I have to break things down to its lowest common denominator. When I see something that's complicated, I have, the only way I can understand it is to get the bottom line of what it is and then work from there. Now, the Bible is the same way. And if you was to ask me what was the one word, the one word that you have to understand if you're going to ever learn the Bible, it will be one word. It will be the word balance. Balance is the most important aspect that you're ever going to have uh, in your Christian life when it comes to the Word of God. You know what? It's the most important thing in your own Christian life and your walk with the Lord. And I hope that as we're done today, you'll see and understand this great truth. And all the information that we're amassing here, and all of the times we're spending time in the Word of God, I, I want you to understand the fact that balance is the key thing. 
whether it's in the Word of God or it's in your own Christian life. And when you think about balance, you want to remember three things. Now, these are three things that I've learned very early in my Christian life. I was fortunate that had a man that believed the Word of God, who understood the Word of God to great depth, that kind of took me under his wing, and, and, and I learned a lot of valuable things in the first early days of my Christian life. And that's why today, uh, right now, as we're starting this church, we have a lot of new people that have come in. Some of you have been around for a while. But we need to focus and give you, uh, at the early point of your life, what you need to understand. Now, three things to remember about balance. Simply this. First of all, in it comes to the Bible, don't ever overemphasize anything more than God does. We have a tendency in the Bible to get a pet truth. We have a tendency in the Bible to get a pet doctrine. And we want to read that doctrine into everything that we look at in the Word of God. And of course, I learned very, I learned a long time ago that the Bible is the mind of God. It's the mind of Christ. It has in it everything emphasized the way God wants it to be emphasized. So when I read the Bible, and I've told you this before, I never read the Bible from a Christian standpoint. Because from a Christian standpoint, you'll find your pet doctrine or your churches or your denomination or whatever. I never read the Bible from a Christian standpoint. I always try to read the Bible from God's standpoint. I don't want to step back and look at it from my perspective. Well, Christianity is a very small slice of an overall complex Bible that deals with the nation of Israel, the tribulation period, the second coming of Christ, before the law, during the law, after the law, that intermediate period. You can't look at it that way. You have to step back and see it from God's standpoint. So I learned very early in life, don't ever put more emphasis on something that, than God does. I'll give you an example of that. We have today in, in what Christianity, a thing called the charismatic movement. And in that charismatic movement is the issue of tongues. And the issue of tongues today is the most unbelievable, uh, impacting thing in the charismatic movement. You took tongues out of the charismatic movement, you wouldn't have a charismatic movement. You realize that tongues are only talked about two times in the Bible? Two times. And the one time in the book of 1 Corinthians, <laughs> he's not telling them how to do it. He's telling them they're doing it wrong. Now, let me show you what I mean by that. You know what? I've talked to charismatics all my life, and they'll talk about the fact that, well, I speak in an unknown tongue. I speak in an unknown tongue. I speak in an unknown tongue. And I'll say, where do you get the concept of an unknown tongue? He'll take me over to 1 Corinthians chapter 12 or chapter 13 and says, see there? It talks about an unknown tongue. I'll always ask him, did you ever notice that the word unknown is in italics? Now, he never thought about that. You know why? Because he doesn't think that way. He has something he wants to believe, and do not try to confuse him with a lot of facts. The word unknown is in italics because when you translate from one language to the other, it doesn't always match up. So the King James translators, being the honest men of integrity that they were, put the words in that they put in in italics so you would know, and that word unknown is in there because there's no such thing as an unknown tongue in the Bible sense. The church at Corinth was making up an unknown tongue. The King James Bible translators put it in there in italics so you and I would know the difference. But you see, when you don't approach the Bible and you don't study the Bible, then you just think that that thing is the way it's supposed to be, so there must be some kind of unknown tongue. So you build a whole doctrine on something that God only talked about in reality the right way in the book of Acts one time. And every time he talked about it in the book of Acts one time, it was always another audible language was on this earth. It was never an unknown deal. But you see, when you put the wrong emphasis, and you don't emphasize and you put overemphasis on what God does, when he doesn't do it that way, you're going to get out of balance. 
Now, at the same time, the second thing. Don't ever underestimate something less than God does. Just the opposite. Because there are things in the Bible that God puts great emphasis on. And we are famous as Christians. It's just our depravity in our human nature. We are famous as God's people of getting a thing mixed up and emphasizing things that don't need to be emphasized and losing the emphasis on the things that we need to emphasize on. We're famous for that. That's why it is so important. That's why we must, as a church, you must, as a child of God, learn the Bible. Learn how the Bible lays itself out. And that's what we're talking about. Third thing I always ask myself, when I look at something, who's God writing to? You know, all the Bible is written for you, but not all the Bible is written to you. We're going to talk about that a little bit later on. I always looked at this thing of balance. When I was a young man, you know, I've always been interested in the sciences, no matter what it is. I, I felt like, you know, if, if, God was, uh, if God was everything that He said He was, and Romans chapter 1, verse 20 says, the invisible things of Him uh, in the creation are clearly seen by the things that God made. I felt like that God, I needed to study everything. So in a very early age, I got interested in science. And I got interested in geology. And I got interested in astronomy. And I, and I don't know a lot about it. I mean, uh, but I, I, I wanted to find God footprints in those things. But I remember one time when I was watching a, a, a rocket uh, at Cape Canaveral go off. And I think, what an amazing thing. And I was watching this big Saturn V rocket with all these boosters strapped on it. And I was watching it take off, and I was watching the fire and the flames and the thunder and the noise. I watched that thing. And I, and I began to talk about all the aspects of it, how much millions of pounds of thrust that rocket has to have to escape Earth's gravity. And it was an amazing thing. And then they said something to me, or said something that I, I, I never forgot. They said that that rocket and that fuel that's burning in there is really nothing more than a gigantic explosion under control. They said you had hydrogen, liquid oxygen, and something nitrate, whatever that is, and those three come together and fuse together at just the right points to make that thing lift off. Too much? Bang! Too little? I guess it just falls over. I don't know. But it doesn't get off the ground. And I'm saying it has to be a balance. And I've often looked at the Christian life like that. Most of the people in my life that I know as God's people, I honestly, I know very few that are what I would call Bible balanced. They're lying. You see somebody that's all screwed up in their life and they're a Christian? I can tell you, without going into any detail, the basic fundamental problem, the lowest common denominator, will be balance. Anything of too much in your life is a bad thing. It has to be in a, has to be in a balance. And just like a rocket ship going up will either go up, explode, or go down, your life will be successful, unsuccessful, or be a disaster based on the balance of the things of God and the things in this world in your life. We've talked a lot about the Laodicean church. We went through the Revelation chapter 3, I don't know how many times, on Thursday night Bible study and, and our times in the Word of God together. And you know now that we are living in a Laodicean church period. There's no doubt in your mind now that we're living in that time where we are the rights of the people, the, the justice of God's people over the rights of God. And we know that in that church, uh, it, it's a mess. Just like the church at Corinth. And I'm telling you, the bottom fundamental problem in the Laodicean church is the same bottom fundamental problem in God's people's lives. No balance. Now, to have a balance, you have to have three things. 
You have a weight on this end, you have a weight on this end, and you have to have something in the middle that you move it back and forth to get the balance or the things on the end to get the balance. But everything in your life needs to have three parts. If I had to take a magic marker and had a blackboard up here, I could draw a line right down that line. Whether you know it or not, that line has three parts. It has a breadth, it has a width, and you can't see it, but it has a depth. You remove any one of those three parts, you don't have the line. And I'm telling you, I'm telling you, the Bible and getting the balance is understanding the thing as it lays out in that pattern of threes. Now, you talk about, you talk about your relationship with the Lord. How's your relationship with God? How's your relationship with the Lord? Well, let me tell you this. If you're going to understand who He is, you better look at the name. The Lord Jesus Christ. The Lord Jesus Christ. There's three. And each one means something different. Each one portrays Him in a different aspect and deals with His deity and his, or His humanity in a specific way. And you talk about the, you talk about Jesus. You got some people to talk about Jesus. You got somebody to talk about the Lord. You got some people to talk about Christ. But you want to understand Him in His entirety, in His simplicity in the Bible. You have to study Him as the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, you want to have a relationship in your, with God? Okay. You want to have a relationship with a child of God? That's what we're talking about. It comes in a system of threes. You have lordship. You have relationship. And you have fellowship. You have to have those three in balance. You know what's really wrong with a child of God when they get out of whack? One of those three things get messed up. You have lordship. That's your personal spiritual relationship with God. You have relationship. That's your emotional side. That's where you build relationships with people. And then you have fellowship. That's your physical. That's who you attach yourself to and hang out with. And I'm telling you, if your lordship is out of balance, you're going to get messed up on the relationship and the fellowship. If you have no lordship, you're going to put the emphasis someplace else and you're going to get out of balance. Every child of God who married an unsaved man or married an unsaved woman, and I'm not picking on them, we all make mistakes. But I'm telling you this, when you find a man and a woman and one's saved and one's not and her life's a mess or his life's a mess and he says to me or he says to you or he says to mom or dad, I never should have done this. I don't know how I got into this mess. Let me tell you how you got in. Out of balance. The lordship wasn't balanced with a relationship which was not balanced with a fellowship. And when you get that thing wrong, you're out of balance. And when you're out of balance, you're going to look at Miss Beautiful back there or Mr. Hunk over here, and you're going to get the thing all, instead of looking at the inside character first, you're going to look at the outside. Everything needs to be balanced out in that three. Now, let's talk about what we believe. Let's talk about what we believe. We talk about your walk with God. My walk with God is based on three things. It's based on faith, it's based on fact, and it's based on feeling. Three basic things. Now you find people that are out of balance. You find, yeah, I don't know how, I'll go back to the charismatics again, not to pick on them, but they're the easiest ones to pick on. You find somebody and they're, they're all hung up on what they believe. My experience, my experience, my experience, my experience. You can't deny my experience. You know what that is? That is a feeling. Now we as Baptists, because we're out of balance most of the time, we're afraid of the charismatic feeling. Hey, I'll put my feeling up with a charismatic feeling any day and I'll whip him or her in a shouting match. You know why? I got a feeling. Somebody says, 
I'm a charismatic. You can't deny my experience. I'm a Bible-believing Baptist, brother. You're not going to deny mine. But they're based on different things. You're out of balance. you got feeling. But you don't have anything else. You know what I have? As a Bible-believing Christian, I have faith. What's my faith based on? The facts. And the faith based on the facts produces the right feeling. You see that thing? That's the way it works. You get that thing messed up and you're going to be a Baptist caramaniac. You're going to get screwed up in your thinking. You're going to get screwed up in your feelings. And you're going to get messed up. My faith is based on the facts. And when I got the facts, it will always produce the right feeling. All right? Let's talk about your concept with God. Three. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. All three are different, yet they're all one. But there's three different aspects. God the Father is not the same as God the Son, though He is. God the Son is not the same as God the Holy Spirit, though He is. But when God manifested Himself, He chose to do it by a pattern of threes because God is complete, complete. So when he did it, he, he, God the Father, who projected himself as God the Son, so mortal man could have contact with him, but he gave an influence of the Holy Spirit of God in a third part, yet all three are one. You gotta study him in those three lights. Each one has a different office. Each one performs a different work. When Paul told young Timothy, 1st, 2nd Timothy, two of the greatest books in the Bible in preparing young men and young ladies for the work of God. You know what he said? He said, Timothy, here's what you gotta do. When it comes to the Bible, three, you got to read the Word, you got to preach the Word, and you got to know the Word. Three. Now, when it comes to your Bible, you say, I'm going to read the Bible. All right, I told you before, all the Bible is written for you, but not all the Bible is written to you. When you come to that Bible, I said the third thing I do is always ask, who's it written to? Because there's three groups of people that are addressed in the Word of God. One of them is the Jew. One of them is the Gentile, and the other is the church. Now, there's people out there that believe you can lose your salvation. You know why they get that? Because they don't see who the Bible's written to when they're reading it. So they get something written over here to the nation of Israel, and they try to apply it into the church. Or they get something written over here to the Gentiles, and they try to try it to the Jews. And they get the whole thing out of whack because they have no balance. We looked a while back at the judgment seat of Christ. And I talked about the fact that there's three things that you want to put on that foundation. Gold, deity of Christ, silver, the redemption story, and precious stones, people. Three, there's your balance. If you don't do what's right, you get wood, hay, stubble. But it'll always be a system of threes. And I, we could take the rest of the day, I could take the rest of the month, and we could go through, we could go through all the threes that make up the balance. I'm just trying to show you where this thing is at because now we're going to settle on the point that I want to talk about and want to give you some examples of. Because this is, the, this is without a doubt, if you don't get this down in the Bible, forget it. Forget it. You have to get the balance in the Word of God. In time, as we build upon this and we add to this and we get more information, I will walk you through every process to show you how to balance this thing out. Now, well, when it comes to your Bible... Your Bible has three applications. Your Bible has an application historically. Your Bible has an application doctrinally in the Old Testament. Your Bible has an application inspirationally. And you're going to find that one of the things you have to learn to do 
is be able to separate those three applications out. Let me explain them. Historically, it means that it actually took place, it actually happened. When you read an event in the Bible, it actually took place. It actually happened. You can count on it. Doctrinally, it'll always go back doctrinally to the theme of the Bible. And we've studied this already. We know the theme of the Bible is the kingdom. We know the theme of the Bible is not Calvary. It is not Christ. It is a throne and a crown. And somebody is going to get that crown one day in Revelation chapter 19. And it's going to be the rightful heir, the Lord Jesus Christ. That's how those three titles figure into that. But that's not our message this morning. We'll get to that someplace else down the line. That's a good Thursday night Bible study question. But anyway, we have a doctrinal application. The doctrinal application will always revert back to the theme of the Bible and show you a prophetic truth. Then we have the inspirational application. The inspirational application will always be something that you can take home with you today and you can get something out for tomorrow that you can find some strength, courage, uh, something in there for you personally that helps you grow in your own personal edification. And I'm telling you, those three are the balance of a Bible and when you have those three, you have the Bible down. Now my goal today and next week is to take the time to show you how to do that. To show you how, as you look at your Bible, 31,171 verses, 66 books, 1,189 chapters, how in the world are we going to take this book and put it into your mind, into your heart, into your brain, that you can really use every aspect of it functionally in your life? Well, it's a lot easier than it sounds, but you got to do it the right way. Remember I told you before? Two ways to go to St. Louis. One way right down I-70, the other way is through Beijing, China, and over through Korea and back the other way. For you, I'm taking the short route. Not that there's anything in St. Louis, but that's where we're going anyhow. Now, let me, a couple of weeks ago, I gave you a great truth. And I don't know if you paid attention or not. I've reemphasized it. And, and a lot of times, you'll say, you may think to yourself, well, he says the same thing sometimes over and over again. Yeah, because the price of learning is repetition. And you need to learn some things and get them in your brain. Now, one of the things you need to learn is that thing I gave you a couple of weeks ago, also threes, that in this world there's knowledge, there's wisdom, and there's understanding. The book of Proverbs tells you to get understanding. With all you're getting, get understanding. Knowledge, that's the facts. Wisdom, that's how the thing works. But understanding is how God fits into the scheme of everything. I told you before, you got World War I, you got World War II. Somebody's a historian and said, well, yeah, World War I started because Archduke Ferdinand was assassinated by his other popping off, you know, and it started World War I. The Russians got in and the Hungarians got in and took Hungary and all that. And then British got in because they had an alliance with so-and-so and America got in because we had an alliance with so-and-so. World War II, yeah, here again, the sneak tap Japanese and the Germany, Hitler coming out, fascist, Mussolini and all that stuff. And we had to get into the war because they bombed this and did that and all this. And you know, he got all the facts. And somebody says, oh yeah, let me talk about General Alexander, let me talk about General Patton, let me tell you about General MacArthur, let me tell you about General this, General that, General that. Now you got wisdom. You want understanding? World War I got the land ready for the Jew, World War II got the Jew ready for the land, 1948 it became a nation. See that? There's the difference. One is facts, one is wisdom. But you don't have understanding until you see God doing what he does. You think World War I and World War II was just God up there saying, whoops, they're at it again! You think God just comes up there, you know, and walks around heaven, listens to the angels playing in harps and greets your grandmother and grandpa, and every hundred years or so walks over to the banners and says, well, what was that little answer doing down there today? Now, you laugh at that, but you know how many God's people think that's the way God is? 
Tell you something. God is interested in history. God is interested in, God is interested in, for one reason. His people, the Jew, and the coming kingdom. And where the church fits in, it's got a job to do, and everything else God didn't care about. He didn't care who wins the Chiefs game today. He didn't care who did this. He didn't care. He's got one thing in his mind. The day his son sits down on the throne in Jerusalem in his crown, King of kings and Lord of lords, and where do you fit into that? That's it. That's where it's at. Now I'm telling you, getting the balance in your Bible and in your life will put everything in order for you. And let's face it, life is past, present, and future. Past, historical. Present, inspirational. Future, doctrinal. You can't get away from it. There's no confusion in your life as a child of God. You don't have to wonder why this is happening or what's taking place over here. And I've said this for years and years and years, and I believe it. And I've said it a thousand times, and I'll continue to tell you this. If you don't know where you came from, you don't know where you're going. And if you don't know where you came from and you don't know where you're going, please do not insult my intelligence by telling me you know where you're at. So many of God's people are just going through the motions like the, like the little rat in the little maze trying to get to the cheese at the end called heaven and just going through the bumps and turns without ever understanding what on earth did God save us for? Balance. If there's anything you have to get, if you're going to ever do anything, be anything, accomplish anything, you're going to have to see it from God's standpoint. Doctrinally. Historically, not inspirationally. Now, I've got a couple of examples today, and we're gonna, I want to show you, though. I want to give you, these are easy ones. A lot of them are easy in the Bible. We make things a lot more complicated. I'm not telling you there aren't some hard ones. But I'm going to give you some easy ones. Now, from this point on, now that I've given you this, any question on Thursday night Bible study, starting this week at our, at our New Year's Eve thing, when somebody asks a question in some place, we're going to talk about all three applications. We're going to see this thing. So from this point on, and next week I'll give you the key how this thing all goes together and how you amass all this information, but right now i got to show you some things. All right, first of all, come back to Exodus chapter 12. Exodus chapter 12. Now, in Exodus chapter 12, I'm going to read the first 13 verses here, and then we're going to talk about it. And you all know this. This is the, this is the, uh, this is the Exodus. This is the famous chapter of the Jews coming out in the Passover. All right, let's look. I just picked this because it's an easy one. 12.1. And the Lord spake unto Moses and Aaron into the land of Egypt, saying, This month shall be unto you the beginning of month. It shall be the first month of the year to you. Speak ye unto all the congregation of Israel, saying, In the tenth day of this month they shall take to them every man a lamb, according to the house of their fathers a lamb for a house. If the household be too little for the lamb, uh, let him and... Uh, uh, his neighbor next unto his house, take it according to the number of the souls, every man according to his eating. Shall you make your count for the lamb? Your lamb shall be without blemish, a male of the first year. You shall take it from out of the sheep and from out of the goats. You shall keep it unto the fourteenth day of the same month. The whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill it in the evening. And they shall take of the blood and strike it on the two side posts and on the upper door of the post of the house where and they shall eat it. And they shall eat the flesh in that night, roast with fire, and have bread and bitter herbs, they shall eat it. Eat not, of it eat, eat not of it raw, nor sawed at all with water, but roast with fire his head, his legs, with the pertinence thereof. 
And you shall let nothing of it remain until the morning. That which remaineth until the morning shall be burnt with fire. And thus shall you eat it with your loins girded, with your shoes on your feet, and your staff in your hand. And you shall eat it in haste, for it is the Lord's Passover. For I passed through the land of Egypt this night, and I will smite the firstborn of the land of Egypt, both man and beast, against all the gods of Egypt. I will execute judgment. I am the Lord. And the blood shall be unto you a token upon the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you, and the plague shall be upon you to destroy you when I smite the land of Egypt. Now, that's an easy story. That's an easy story. We all know that story. I don't know if anybody doesn't know that story or know about that story. But I'm telling you something. What I'm about to give you is the difference between a preacher or a Christian who knows a lot of things about the Bible or who knows the Bible. If you want to know the Word of God, you have to get the three applications. If you just want to know a bunch of things about the Bible, just read the Bible and a bunch of other books and get your sermons off the Internet or somebody else, and, and you'll do just fine. But if you want to know the Bible, then you've got to approach it from the standpoint that God says you've got to approach it. All right, now, here we are. Historically, let's talk about that first. This actually happened. It's a true story. What you're reading in Exodus chapter 12 through 1 and 13, first of all, it starts the change of Israel's uh, beginning of the year. Up to this point, it was September of October, which is the time of the creation, the birth of Christ, and it was the time that they, they, uh, they started their year. Now it's going to change. Now it's going to be, the, the Passover is going to be in April or May sometime in there. And it's going to go from there. And this is going to start the time of they rekindle the starting of their year on a new time. So it's historically accurate, accurate uh, March, April, excuse me. It's historically accurate. At the same time, it's a fulfillment of Genesis chapter 15, verse 16. In that passage, he's told, Abraham's told, in the fourth generation, 430 years that you go down in Egypt, God's going to bring you out. So it's a fulfillment of that. It's also a fulfillment of Hosea chapter 11 verse 1, which we find in Matthew chapter 2 verse 15, where the Bible says that God says, My son have I called out of Egypt. Historically, it's Israel. On the other end, in Matthew, it's Christ. And Christ goes down in Egypt, he comes out. Israel's down in Egypt, they come out. So historically, it's a fulfillment of the prophecy based on the historical accuracy of the nation of Israel being down in Egypt 430 years, God sending them a deliverer and bringing them out. No question about that. All right? Doctrinally. Doctrinally, it's a picture of Israel's deliverance from the Antichrist. You're going to find that Pharaoh is a type of the Antichrist. He's one of the 18 types of Antichrist in the Old Testament. There's 18 men in the Old Testament that foreshadow the coming Antichrist. Eighteen. Because his number is 666, you know, 66 and 6 is 18, and there's 18 men who foreshadow in what they do to Israel, how they do it, where they do it, that all foreshadow the theme of the Bible, and that is the tribulation period pointing to the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. All right? We find that these Jews come out of Egypt, they go into the wilderness. Exodus chapter 16. You'll find that in Matthew chapter 24, Revelation chapter 12, the Jew in the tribulation period runs into the wilderness. Antichrist comes after him there just like Pharaoh comes after him here. God does great miracles. God does miracles with the water back in Revelation chapter 12. He splits the Red Sea in, in, in the book of Exodus. You'll find in chapter 16, they're out in the wilderness. They have nothing to eat. God brings manna down, Exodus chapter 16. You'll find that in the tribulation period, God feeds them and cares for them in the wilderness by giving them that same manna. You'll find that Israel restored in Acts chapter 2 verse 38 or could have been restored. You'll find that the preaching comes back and God wants to restore them and bring them back. And the thing that they have to do 
the thing that they have to do for Israel to get that national salvation in Acts chapter 2 is to repent and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. That's not individual sins. That's a national sin of the nation of Israel. And you know what? You find people all day today in every church in this city that tell you Acts 238 is the way you to go to heaven. You know why? Out of balance. They wouldn't understand a book of Acts if they had a laser beam and a flashlight. They have no understanding about the Bible. They're out of balance. They don't see how the Bible, who it's written to. In Acts chapter 2, he isn't writing anything to the church. Why, the apostle to the church is not even saved yet. Doesn't get saved, Acts chapter 9. Over and over and over again. How could you miss it? Ye men of Judah, ye men of Israel, ye house of Israel, over and over and over again. And you see that in Exodus chapter 12, that is a picture doctrinally of them coming out of the world, going down into the tribulation period in the wilderness, the Antichrist Pharaoh coming after them, and God sustaining them, and then God giving them a deliverer. Oh, we could go into it all night. We don't have time today. I'm just trying to show you how these things work. Then inspirationally. Wow. Inspirationally. You know what you got here inspirationally? You got the gospel according to Exodus. Somebody said, whoa, 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 there's only four Gospels. Yeah, you're out of balance. I'll tell you what, there's a Gospel according to Joshua. There's a Gospel according to Exodus. There's a Gospel according to Numbers. What are you talking about? There are places in the, you know what the Gospel is? The Gospel is Christ dying, buried, resurrecting. There's places all through the Old Testament that show you in type form somebody dying, resurrecting. All through there and here. Oh, how could you miss it? How could you miss it? Why, it's so powerful. You know what it says? Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 7, he says, Christ, our Passover. There's a picture of something here. I'll tell you this. Look at verse 6. He said, that lamb was to be kept from the 10th day to the 14th day. You go to Mark chapter 11 or a number of places in the New Testament, you'll find that Christ is killed on the 14th day. 14th day. He says in verse 5, it's a male lamb without blemish. Really? 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 8 says, You're not redeemed with corrupt things of silver and gold, but the precious blood of Christ as a lamb without spot. Israel kills it. Matthew chapter 27, verse 25, the nation of Israel says, His blood be upon us and our people. You ever notice this? He get down there in verse 7, and he says, You take that hyssop, and you take that lamb, a male lamb, out of the first things of the flock, and you kill it, and you take the blood, and you take that blood, and you put blood on this side of the door, blood on this side of the door, and blood at the top. Well, that's kind of a weird deal. Why didn't you just paint the whole thing? Why didn't you put one big splotch? Why did you put 1,400 years before Christ was ever born? One thief? Second thief? He's numbered with them, but he's higher than they are. He's deity. One, two, three. Fourteen hundred years before the birth of Christ. Now, what are you going to do with that? I mean, I'm telling you. What are you going to do with that? I'll tell you something else. Look at verse 8 and 9. Fire. God's judgment. Verse 9. No water. John chapter 19, verse 28. He says, I thirst. Verse 10, nothing to remain. The head, the legs, the pertinence thereof. Nothing to remain to remorning. You know why? Because the Lamb made a sacrifice on Calvary's cross that was the one eternal, effectual sacrifice for sins forever. Oh, check this out. Look at verse 3 and 4. Look at verse 3. 
Speak unto all the congregation of Israel, saying, In the tenth day of this month they shall take every man a lamb, according to the house of their father, a lamb for a house. See that thing? A lamb. See it? Look at verse 4. And if the household be too little for the lamb. Look at verse 5. Your lamb. What kind of mind do you think behind that Bible that starts out? A lamb, the lamb. You see, the first thing you need is a lamb. But not just any lamb will do. You need the lamb. But you can know all about the lamb. You need to make it your lamb. A lamb, the lamb, your lamb. I'll tell you something else. Why does it just say lamb? Well, there was a, there was a hundred thousand lambs killed that night. At least. Why does it say the lamb? The lamb. Singular. The lamb. I'll tell you why. Because there's one lamb that's got enough redemptive power in it for the souls of a hundred million people. Gospel according to Exodus. I'm telling you. A lamb. The lamb. Your, now that's the Bible in balance. That's the Bible in balance. It shows you historically. It shows you doctrinally. And then for you in your own life, it shows you. Somebody says, well, I believe you've got to be baptized to go to heaven. Oh, really? My Bible says, when I pass through the land, when I see the blood, when I see the blood, when I see the blood. Now, I go up to KCI International Airport this afternoon and I'm get on a plane and go someplace. I walk up to the ticket counter and I say, uh, I want to get on this here plane going to Chicago. They said, fine, let me see your ticket. Well, I don't have a ticket. Well, you got to have a ticket. Well, I don't have a ticket. Well, sir, you have to get a ticket. Well, wait a minute. You let so-and-so on that plane, and, 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 and if you get him on, I want to get on. Well, he got a ticket. Yeah, but if you knew what I knew about that guy, you wouldn't let him on that plane. The guy said, look, pal, I don't care what he did, who he is, he's got a ticket. You got a ticket, you get on the plane. No ticket, no plane. No blood, no plane ride. It didn't say when I see the b- 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 baptizing, when I see the baptism of the Holy Spirit, when I see the baptizing with no power in the blood, the power in the tub, when I see all that thing, when I see, it said when I see the blood, I'll pass over you. You know why some people believe, believe that they've got to be baptized to go to heaven? You know why they believe water is important for your salvation? Because they're out of balance and they don't see the gospel of Exodus and many other places that when God typified the Passover lamb, Christ, He said it was blood. What are you going to do with that? I'm going to stick with the books. What I'm going to do with it? Somebody says, well, it's the water. Fine, I'll take the book. Water fellowship, water joy divine, leaning on the everlasting arms, I'll take the book. It's the book. The Word of God will always give you the clean, clearest understanding that you don't have to worry about what anybody else tells you. That's why I'm telling you, you got to learn the book. you got to know the book. you got to spend the rest of your life. That's why I'm willing to spend whatever time it takes. I don't care. We'll take time. Go through the Word of God. I'll help you break it down. I can accelerate where you're at. I can get you where you need to be. I can show you some shortcuts like I'm trying to do today. I can give you the time to understand that you come away understanding. There's a balance in the Word of God. Historically, doctrinally, and inspirationally. Okay, one more. I've got time for one more. One quick one. Now, I'll show you this one. First Samuel chapter 70. I go all day. I mean, we just go all day long and all night tonight. First, Corinthians, First Samuel chapter 17. Now, here's an easy little story. This is David and Goliath. Simple story. Every kid in the world knows the story of David and Goliath. Every adult does. 
Well, I promise you, but they never heard like you're going to hear today. Balance is the key. Balance is the key. All right, pick it up in verse 4. And there went out a champion out of the camp of the Philistines named Goliath of Gath, whose height was six cubits and a span, and he had a helmet of brass upon his head, and he was armed with a coat of mail, and weight of the coat was 500 shekels of brass. And he had greaves of brass upon his legs and a target of brass between his shoulders. And the staff of his spear was like a weaver's beam, and his spearhead weighed 600 shekels of iron, and one bearing a shield went before him, and he stood and cried unto the armies of Israel and said unto them, Why are ye come out to set your battle in array? Am not I a Philistine, and ye servants to Saul? Choose you a man for you, and let him come down to me. And if he be able to fight with me and kill me, then we will be your servants. But if I prevail against him and kill him, then ye shall be our servants and serve us. And the Philistines said, I defy the armies of Israel this day. Give me a man that we may fight together. When Saul and all Israel heard those words of the Philistines, they were dismayed and greatly afraid. Simple story. Now, historically, it actually happened. I know you got all kinds of guys running around trying to prove that Goliath wasn't a real giant. He was a real giant. Depending on the length of a man's cubit, whatever the case may be, he was anywhere from 9 foot tall to 13, 14, 15 foot tall. I don't know exactly how big he was, but he was bigger than your average dude. And I'm telling you what, he's down there and he's walking up and down in that valley and he's telling them out there and he's making fun of God and Israel and the nation of Israel and he's saying, you know what, I'm going to whip you and it's real simple. You, we don't have to get all armies out. You send me a guy down here that'll fight with me and if he whips me, we'll serve you. If I whip him, you serve us. Now you see, that sounds simple. But you send a, a normal guy down to a 13-foot guy that weighs about 750 pounds. Let me tell you something. They had it. They, had it, they knew they were going to win. And it actually took place. David went down and killed him. David walked down there, picked up a rock, let him have it in between the eyes, and it was all over. And it's a historically accurate, true thing. It really happened. Absolutely happened. All right? Doctrinally. Doctrinally. David's a type of Christ. Goliath, again, is one of the 18 types of Antichrist. It always goes back to the kingdom concept. You say, now, how do you know that, Bob? Well, look down there in verse 34 and 36. Now, here's how you let your Bible tell you. It isn't deluded Bob with his paranoia. It's, it's going to the Bible and seeing what the Bible says. My only crime against humanity is I believe what the Word of God says totally and completely. And in verse 34, 36, David said, Hey, don't be afraid. I'll go out and fight him. And they said, Oh, don't you can't go down and fight him. And David said, Hey, don't worry about it. You know when I was watching a sheep one time, and a lion and a bear came down to try to steal some sheep. And I killed both a lion and a bear. And this Philistine shall be as one of them. Revelation chapter 13 verse 2 says the Antichrist is like a lion and a bear. Look at verse 46. This day, any place you find it, anywhere, any place in the Old Testament you find it, it will be context second coming of Christ. Anywhere. That day, there's only one that day in the Bible, and that's the day of the Lord. They're in a valley, verse 3, south of Jerusalem, about 15, 20 miles, right down around where aren't down there like Armageddon. This Philistine is an unsaved man. He persecutes the Jew, the nation of Israel, just like the Antichrist is going to do in the tribulation. And all the leaders, Saul being the biggest man in the camp, the Bible says he was, stood taller than any man in Israel. He's scared to death, scared to death. So what do we got? 
We've got God sending them to deliver against an unsafe Philistine who's trying to wipe out the nation of Israel. What kind of guy was he? A shepherd, a warrior, and a king. Woo, type of Christ. He hits him right in the head. Antichrist killed with a head rune. Revelation chapter 13, verse 3, Psalm chapter 74, Zechariah chapter 11. With a rock, with a stone. Daniel chapter 2 says it's a stone made without hands. Oh, yeah. And I always like this part. Bible tells you in verse 50 in particular, there's no sword in David's hand. You ever notice how God takes particular interest in telling you little things like that? You've got to watch everything you read in the Bible. You know why? Because he didn't have to have a sword in his hand. He said, I'm coming to you in the name of the Lord God. Revelation chapter 19 verse 11 says, The word of God is sharp to it. sword comes out of his mouth. He didn't need one in his hand. He spoke what he was going to do. I come to you in the name of the Lord. Can't miss it. Can't miss it. Now, inspirationally. Inspirationally. I'm just going to tell you this. David is a type of you and me. And that giant Goliath, sure he's a picture of the devil. But he's a picture of things in your life. There's always going to be giants in your life going to try to intimidate you to doing what's right with God. Always going to be. Always going to be. I don't care who it is. It may be some unsafe friend. It may be some other religion. It may be a mom or a dad. It may be an uncle. It may be a brother or a sister. But it'll be something. It may be somebody at work. It may be some circumstance. But there'll always be something in your life that'll walk up and down in front of you trying to make you afraid that God is not the God that He says He is. And the giants in your life will be, and you whip them there, here, just like David did. That's the same thing. Goliath was a champion. I dare to say, well, we know he never lost. If that was the, if that was the deal, you whip me, I serve you. you I whip you, you, you serve us. He's still alive. He'd never been defeated. He'd never been defeated. He's the champion. He never lost. Just like the devil. He wants to make you fear. He wants to make you lose faith and fail in whatever it is in your life. David, verse 11. He's a picture of you and me, the child of God. He's just trusting in God's Word. Oh, David is one of the most beautiful pictures anywhere in the Word of God. Not only of Christ, but boy, of what your life and my life should be. Bible says he, was, he did what was right all the days of his life, except in the matter of Uriah Hittite. He was a man after God's own heart. What a study. What a study. And so they go down there in verse 38. What's Saul do? He does what most preachers do to prepare you for the battle. He try, Saul tries to give David his armor. Now, i got to tell you, David's probably this time, maybe 15, 16 years old. Maybe 17. But he's a skinny little runt because Goliath is laughing at him when he sees him. He says, what? You are going to come out and fight me? He makes, he mocks him. I mean, here's little David, you know, a little learned linen dress, you know, a little shepherd thing with little, little legs, you know, and he just kind of, like he's the innocent snow of the world, you know, and, and, and he's just out there and he says, I'll go fight him. Saul should have fought him. Saul says, well, you can't fight him. David said, I can fight him. He said, okay, give him my armor. And Saul took his armor, put it on David, put all of this stuff on. Don't you know that was a sight? The Bible tells you Saul was head and shoulders above every man. David's probably about that size and just a little runt, and they're putting all this armor on, and you look at that, you know what that tells me? I'll tell you this right now. You can't fight in Bob Alexander's spirituality. 
you got to get your own armor. I can only take you so far. I won't ever tell you, oh yeah, just come to church and do all the rules and regulations and you'll be fine. No, you won't. You build your life based on that book. You put on the armor of God over in the book of Ephesians and you learn how to fight. I may not always be in your life. You may not always have somebody to run to. You may have to sometimes just stand on your own and say, you know what? I ain't moving here. I'm telling you right now, I've said it before. It's never the size of the dog in the fight. It's the size of the fight in the dog. David tries to put on Saul and he says, I've not proved this. I can't wear this armor. So he goes down to a brook. He gets him five smooth stones. And boy, from the battle that takes place from this point on, oh, there's some things we got to see. Let me tell you something. Don't ever doubt this for a moment. If you don't study David's life, you don't know this. David was the greatest warrior Israel ever had. You know what? I never find a time that he didn't plan a battle. He didn't go back to the Old Testament someplace before him and find out how they fought a similar battle. My Bible tells me that God will make your arms strong enough to, to bake bands of iron. He'll teach your hands to war. That book is the battle plan for your everyday. You can find how to fight. And I'm not talking about, well, you know, when I just don't feel good, go in here and read me the verse for my headache. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about understanding. I'm talking about realizing that this book tells you how to deal with every giant that will come in your life. Watch. 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 First of all, go the distance. Be prepared to give more than you have to. I don't know if you ever saw this or not. Don't give any quarter. He goes down and picks up five smooth stones. I've told you before, I've heard preachers say, he picked up five smooth stones because he, just, he was really God's man, but he just really didn't trust God. No, 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 no. You don't know your Bible. Second Samuel chapter 21, verse 18 says, Goliath had four brothers. That boy's prepared to go the distance. You take out one, want to make a family fair, we'll go five for five. Go the distance. Be prepared for anything. Never assume that once you deal with this one, all the giants are gone. Smart. No. Read that. Know that David picked up five because he knew he had five. And whatever giant you got walking in your valley today, when you defeat him, his brothers will be right down the road. There's never a time in your life and my life till we die and go home to glory that this warfare is over. There is no discharge from this war. Second thing, pay attention. Pay attention. When you get into the battle, when the giant's before you, pay attention. This is where you have to overcome your fear. Greater is he that is in you that's in the world. This is where you got to get your confidence level with God. That you can, you, God will take you through anything. Pay attention. God will always give you the victory by showing you, listen to me, by showing you the enemy's weakness. If you don't hear one other thing I said today, hear this. God will always give you the victory by showing you the enemy's weakness. Look at verse 5 and 6. 
It says when he comes to him, he has a helmet, coat of mail, greaves on his legs, spear, and a shield. Now, if you look at verse 41, you see the giants drawing near. And then they have this little conversation back and forth. And in verse 48, it says the giant arose. You know what he did? That giant was walking up and down there making fun. And they sent out their champion. And he sees this guy coming. And he's walking toward him. And when he sees who he is, he just about has a heart attack. And he sits down. And he's laughing so hard and thinking, this guy is nothing. I can whip him nothing that he sits down. One place he's going for him, the other place he rises. Oh, but when he rises, when he rises, verse 45, he has a sword, he has a spear, and he has a shield. He's taken off his helmet, and he's taken off the greaves on his legs. The two number one things you don't want to do if you're fighting a guy who knows how to use a slingshot. I don't care if you're 175 feet tall, 3,450,000 pounds. That boy cracks your kneecap, you're going down. I don't care how tough you are or how tough you think you are. Brother, if Arnold Palmer stood you stood you across that thing and Arnold Palmer could stand here and tee off and hit you between the eyes with a golf club, you'd be absent the body and present with the Lord. <laughs> now I'm telling you, pay attention. When you have a giant, a false religion, a brother or a sister, somebody, whatever the case may be, when a giant is in your life, God will always show you how to get the victory because He'll always show you where they have left their armor unchecked. If I'm dealing with somebody, I'll deal with them in one of two ways. I'll deal with them with their legs, where they've been and where they're going, or in their head, where philosophy of what they've got. You know, there's some people you don't want to deal that way with. Bible says, answer a fool according to his folly, lest to be wise in his own conceit, Proverbs. Then it says, answer not a fool according to his folly. There's a time to and a time not. Sometimes you go after their legs. Sometimes you go after their head. When I'm coming with a charismatic, Mormon, Church of Christ, you name it, any of the American cults, you think I'm going to sit down with Jehovah Witness when he comes to my house and he says, well, what do you believe? Oh, you're a Baptist. Yeah, I'm a Baptist. What do you believe about hell? Well, I'll show you what I believe about hell. I got all my verses here because we had a class in our church and my pastor showed me all the verses. I believe this. You know what? He's, he's going to give you his. You're going to give you his. You're going to spend an hour and a half going back and forth and you are not going to accomplish anything except you are probably going to be more confused then than you were before. Don't ever go after him that way. Charismatic? I'm not going to sit down and talk to you about tongues. Church of Christ, if you think I'm going to waste 15 minutes talking about why you believe the book of Revelation is or isn't when I do it is, I, I'm not going to take, I'm not going to do that. If you think I'm going to sit down to a Mormon and ask him, well, why do you build your temple over there? Well, Lord's coming back. Well, let me show you the verses back. I am not going to do that. It is a waste of time. You know what? I'm going after his legs. Mormon, Church of Christ, charismatic, Jehovah Witness, got one question for you. Where were you in 1600? Where were you in 1700? Well, you don't find anybody in the face of this planet believe what you believe for the middle of the 1800s. You know where the first Baptist church was in America? It was in Providence, Rhode Island, 1610 by John Clark. Where are you at in 1610? 
What kind of Bible you got? Well, I got a King James Bible. There wasn't one man in that translating committee to believe what you believed. Let me see your holy... Let me see. You guys sing Amazing Grace at your church? Well, yeah, we say... She didn't believe what you believed. You know what? Where were you, charismatic? Where were you before 1900 and Amy Mishish and Thimson? Oh, they were in Topeka, Kansas, and Zula Street Mission in Los Angeles. Where were you? How come the great missionaries in the Philadelphia church age, when he went to Africa and India, they were all medical doctors? What's the matter? They lose the piling of healing because they didn't believe? Why do they all translate the King James Bible into the dialects of the language of the people? Why don't they just speak in tongues? Not enough faith? Out of balance. No idea. Don't know where they've been. Don't know where they're going. You sure don't know where you're at. And I'll use it. When I have to fight those Goliath men, it ain't going to be a headshot. I'm taking his legs right out from under him because he got nothing to stand on. Except, Lord, build the house. They labor in vain to build it. You got no history. You got no foundation. Well, I can trace mine back to the Waldensians, to the Albigenses, to the Huguenots, right back to the book of Acts. Where do you go from Joe Smith? Where do you go? Where do you go from Mary, Bar- uh, Mary Baker Eddy? Where do you go from, from, from Alexander Campbell, Barton Stone? Where do you go? You go to Sears, Pennies, and Kmart, but you don't go anywhere in the Bible. No, no. Pay attention. God will always show you the weakness of the giant in front of you. In one case, go after his legs. He's nothing to stand on. Other one, go for the. David had two options. David saw that thing coming down there, and he says, "I got." Two. I mean, I know how he thought. I, I looked at that thing, and he said, "You know what?" <laughs> he took off the worst two pieces of armor he could have took off. <laughs> what an idiot! I look at that thing. I look at somebody who says, "Well, I'm a Jehovah Witness," and I think, "What an idiot!" I mean, you know, if you're going to go to hell, and I don't want anybody to go to hell. I'll do whatever I can do. But let's just put it in practical sense here now. If you're going to go to hell, go as a Catholic. Go as a Buddhist. I mean, going to hell as a Catholic, going to hell in a Cadillac. Going to hell with a Joe Wooden, going to, going to hell in a Volkswagen. I mean, it's nothing. It's got no history. It's got no roots. It's got no step. It's got no depth doctrine. And they don't even know where they're at. I will not talk to anybody about anything. I just keep asking the same question. Where were you in 1500? When the Great Reformation was going on and the world being rocked, where were you guys? Show me one guy. Give me one guy. I don't want two. I don't want three. I don't want a hundred. I want one man in 1700 that believes what you believe. I'll give you a hundred for every one you give me. And don't just come up with Ralph Schwartz. Show me. You are you, your own Bible. You don't, you, you guys can't even produce your own Bible. You gotta steal your Bible from Baptist. You gotta get your, your, your hymnal from Baptist. And then you wanna tell me that I'm wrong and you're right? Take his legs out. Now, if I'm going up against a Roman Catholic, Muhammad, a Muslim, tough to go up against Muhammad, he's dead. <laughs> Confucius, one of those guys, you can't go after their legs. They've been around a long time. You've got to go after their head. And you've got to deal with them based on the Word of God where they're at. And you've got to get them that way. You see, they're not based on the Bible. The other ones are. They're not. So you can use the Bible in a philosophy mode and a head mode to get to them. Well, you can't with the Jehovah Witness. 
because he's based in the Word of God, even though he's wrong. A, a, a Muhammad somewhat is, but a, a Confucius and a Brahmist, no way. You can deal with them on the Word of God from a philosophical standpoint, and you can get inside them and rattle their cage. You try to deal with them by cutting their legs off from under them, you've got nowhere to go. They've been around forever. You've got to get them with a headshot. When old Saul, when old Goliath come out there, David looked and he says, got two options here. I can take him in the head. I can take him in the leg. I got the five stones in case his brothers want to make it a family fair. Maybe I ought to get one for his mother. But I'm taking his brothers they want to go. Now I got to decide this. He's walking down there. He's laughing. Where am I going to nail him? About that time he said, whoop, can't get him in the leg. He's type of the Antichrist. The Antichrist gets it in the head. Got it. But I'll write this down so Bob Alexander can figure it out down the line someplace. So when he's got to fight his giants, he'll know there's two ways to get him. And down he went. Now, if you think I'm kidding when I just told you that, you think I'm just making that? I believe that. said, I put all your names in there. Not just mine. I put all your names in there. Go after that giant on two areas, his head or his legs. And finally, the last thing I want to say is this. And this is the best part of the whole thing. I, I love the way the Bible is put together. Look at verse 49. Goliath, on his face. See that thing? Did it say on his face? Help me. Is it on his face? On his face. I love that. You go to 1 Samuel chapter 5, verse 4, you know what you find? You find the God of Goliath. You know what his name was? Dagon. And you know the story. Philistines been whipping the nation of Israel. They take the ark of God. Bring it down in Dagon's temple. You know, I'd always like to have been hiding in places in the Bible just for sake of seeing things. You know, I'd like to have been there and watch the Lord come out of that tomb. That would have been a great thing. I'd like to have been there and seen Peter walk on the water. I might even try it myself. I'd like to be. But you know one place I would just like to be? When those Philistines, oh, those Philistines, when they're carrying that ark and they're just dancing around, you know, we beat God, we beat Israel, we got the ark, this thing is nothing special. They, everybody, he kills their people when they touch it, but look at us, we got it, woohoo, taking it. And there's Dagon, you know, standing up there, you know, big old half man, half fish, and he's standing up there, you know, big old 20 foot tall, and they're saying, Dagon's our God, he's the man, you're the man, Dagon, you're the dude, yeah, yeah, put it down there, put the ark of the Lord down there, and boy, went outside that temple, you know, and big old doors creaking close an eerie light with stained glass windows, you know, and pipe organs over here and all these things, you know, and they're down there and they close those doors and they're all going down the street, you know, for their lunch and all those things, you know, and it gets quiet as a tomb in there, boy. And all of a you look up there and I'm over in the corner and there's the Ark of the Lord, type of the Lord Jesus Christ. I mean, you do know the Ark of the Lord coming down through the wilderness the same route he's going to take your second coming of Christ, type of Christ. They took that Ark over Gilgal, over Jordan, the same place he's going to cross. Took it right over the Mount of Olives, right within the Eastern Gate. Same thing, same thing. Oh, balance, balance, balance. Oh, they shut those doors, man. Those candles are simmering in there. And you could look up there and see that thing. Boy, there's that big old stone god of Dagon. And, oh, what's that? Trickle of sweat coming down his forehead. About that time, phew, bright, shining young man, about 33 years of age, comes into view there and looks up at Dagon, looks down at the ark. Now there's sweat pouring off of Dagon. He says, down. Boom. They come in the next morning. Hey, 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 go chiefs. Dagon's falling down. Just get him back up again. Dagon's saying, no, no, just leave me down. Back up he goes. They go back out. Again, door shut. I said, 
down, and the Bible clearly tells you, Dagon fell on his face. Let me tell you something. The giants in this world all wind up just like the gods they serve. And the Bible says there's coming a day when every knee will bend and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is the Lord, the glory of God the Father. They all end the same way. The giants and their gods all wind up at the great wine throat judgment on their face. You don't have to be afraid. You pay attention. You learn. Get the balance in everything in your life in the Bible. Let me help you any way we can. And focus this thing to the point where you see and understand that the battles in this life are laid out for you in the Bible and they show you how to fight them. You either fight them in your own way or you go God's way and God's way you will always get the victory. David saw that boy coming down there. He says, got two options, headshot, leg shot. You see somebody coming up there going to give you, got two options, headshot, leg shot. And then he used the word of God to execute the procedure. Simple as that. Balance. You have to have balance in the word of God. Let's pray. Father, we thank you and praise you for all you do for us. We love you. We, Lord, we just ask you to give us a good day today. Help us, Father, to uh, just cling to your word, Lord, and love this book. Love it more every day. See it for what it is, Lord. Help us to grow and to learn from it. And help us to be everything that we need to be. And Lord, uh, help us to learn every week as we study your word. Give us a good week this week as we look forward to New Year's Eve. And may, Lord, we really endeavor to show people the Lord Jesus Christ in our church. And we'll thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. For the sake we ask it. Amen.